Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Me Plus Motherhood podcast. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Sophie Brock, who I'm going to tell you a little bit about. Dr. Sophie Brock is a motherhood studies sociologist and mother living in Sydney, Australia. She provides analysis of motherhood in our culture, exploring the ways individual experiences of mothers are shaped by broader social constructs. Sophie's work contributes to changing the cultural conversation on motherhood and the individual experiences of mothers to create a world where mothers feel empowered, supported and valued. Sophie's offerings include self-study courses for mothers and mother-supporting practitioners, mentoring for mother-supporting professionals, the Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification Online Training and her podcast, The Good Enough Mother. Welcome to the show, Sophie, and thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me on, Vanita. I'm really looking forward to seeing where the conversation takes us. And just to explain a little bit, the, the way I came into knowing Sophie is because I completed her Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification in 2021. So I was a part of her Motherhood Mastermind, Motherhood Visionaries Mastermind group for 12 months until it finished up. So um, have a huge amount of respect and admiration for Sophie and the work and her work and the way it's having an impact on mothers, on people who support mothers and society in general. So congratulations on all you've achieved, Sophie, and um, as well as that, doing motherhood uh, along with all of us. So um, let's get into some questions for you because we have a lot to cover today. Um, just to start off with, Sophie, I would love to know how our individual experiences as mothers are shaped by broader social constructs, given some people who are listening may not have ever thought about the social constructs of motherhood. Yeah, no, I'm glad that we're starting in this place because I think, you know, for, for people like yourself, Benita, and I imagine many of the clients that you end up working with, it's like you come to know and understand what we mean by saying social construct. But as you said, for plenty of people out there and plenty of your listeners may not have ever heard of that or know what that means. Um, so I break it down through an analogy, as you know, Benita, and I'll share with your listeners of the fish tank. And it sounds completely unrelated to motherhood, but why I'm sharing this is a little analogy or a metaphor for us to think about what the social construct is, is because part of how it works, part of how society impacts us as mothers and influences our experience is through individually experienced but invisible forces. So when we say social construction of motherhood, well, what are we talking about? Like we're actually talking about our relationships, communities, uh, social discourse, social structures, institutions like schooling, the maternity system, like we're talking about so many different things. So, so let's dive into this analogy to help break that down a little bit. Um, and if we were all to imagine that we are these individual fish inside of a round glass fish tank. So we're using our imaginations and we're thinking about, okay, the tank around us represents our society and culture. Like that's the world that we live within. That's the structure. We have to exist in some form and that's that's where we live inside. And where the fish, metaphorically here, but 
actually everybody in society is the fish, but we're focusing here on us as mothers and we're swimming around, doing our mothering work, caring for our children and going about our daily lives. That's the swimming through the tank. Now we're doing all of this inside water that we're absorbing, we're breathing in, we're moving through. And that's the culture. That's how the culture soaks into us. And so we don't just enter this tank when we become mothers. We enter it when we're born. All of us are social creatures. We all live within society and we're all impacted by society in different ways. So this fish tank analogy we could use for a whole range of different topics, but here we're focusing on motherhood and we're saying, okay, well, how does this apply for motherhood? What are we soaking in? How is the water being flavored for us as mothers and how does that impact us? So if we were to imagine getting a big black texter out and on this tank that represents our world, we're going to write down all of these different rules around what it means to be a good mother. So if an alien dropped in from Mars and they said to you, describe what your culture holds up as being the ideal mother. That's what we're writing on this tank. She is selfless. She's self-sacrificing. She wanted to become a mother. She fell pregnant easily, right? She didn't have infertility struggles or a journey that, that looked outside of the norm. No, it was easeful for her. It came naturally. She has endless patience. She never experiences emotions like apathy or anger or frustration or intolerance. She's generally positioned in our culture as being this white, middle-class, able-bodied woman who is likely married to a man and has at least two children. So she has enough children to not be seen as, as depriving her only child of a sibling, but then she doesn't have too many children because then that scene is irresponsible and don't you know how children keep getting made, right? So we have all these little comments in our culture that help reinforce these rules. And she became pregnant not too young because she needed to get herself established and her career established and being too young isn't responsible. She wanted to plan for pregnancy. But then she's not too old because then she's a geriatric mother and she's putting her baby at risk and she was too selfish and too focused on work and other things. She has a career because she isn't just a mother. I'm using air quotes. So she has a thriving, successful career or business whatever that looks like. And so she's a brilliant employee or business owner, but she never puts work before her children. So her children always come first. She also volunteers and contributes to her community. And she's the perfect wife, sister, friend, all of the things. Okay. So, you know, we could just keep going on and on and on with this list, but I hope that that gives your listeners some sense as we know, this is all encompassing and this is huge. And the weight of these expectations, we've actually soaked them in well before we've become mothers through our culture and all sorts of different things. Some of us experience it in heightened ways than others, depending on how you yourself were mothered. Um, but what happens is we become mothers and we are knowingly have already been socialized into this idealized role. And as many of us are probably aware, just from me speaking to some of that list, it's impossible. You can't. You can't meet these expectations. You can't meet these idealizations. And so what this fish tank analogy does and, and what my purpose is in us talking about the social construct is for us to make visible that it exists because we can't shift what we can't see. And so it's helping to make it more visible for us to then start to take back some sense of agency around what it is we do actually want to absorb and take on in our motherhood. Mm. 
I think it's so important what you've just shared, Sophie, and um, empowering to to understand this. I actually wanted to share that you should have this fish tank model animated on your website so people can go and access it um, if you want to actually explore a little bit further. And Sophie, I, I visited a mother's group last week and you know, I, I can sometimes sit in my office and do all the do this work and think we're really making such progress and then go to somewhere like a mother's group last week and sit and hear exactly the same things that I heard when I started my motherhood experience nine years ago around mum guilt, around this, around that, and think, oh, gosh, do you think we are we getting somewhere with this and how do you see it? How do you see the shift occurring where women do understand this social construct and perhaps operate in a more empowered way within it? Yeah, I think that it depends on what section of society and who we're speaking to and what we're witnessing. So in, you know, the spaces that you and I move in, in the motherhood support space, where you're connected with other coaches and practitioners and people who understand what matrescence is and who understand what the fish tank model is, and we understand the perfect mother myth, it can become a little bit like an echo chamber sometimes, or we can think that more change has happened than it actually has. So I think that we're still, we've still got a long way to go in terms of mainstream culture. But I think there's also, I, I think of it, almost in three different sections. One is the broader mainstream culture and society, which is our mass media, which is our, we'll do a survey and go out into a shopping center and ask, you know, a hundred different people, have they heard of matrescence? Have they heard of motherhood as a social construct? And that's where we've got a long way to go. Then I think we've got a cohort of people kind of at the, at the other end who are working in this field or who are passionate about uh, building careers in this space, like you and I, and we understand it well we understand it thoroughly and we've started we've done our detoxing work in ourselves and so we are in the place of feeling more empowered and feeling a greater sense of agency and we're doing some of that detoxing from social conditioning and you can actually find yourself in a place where plenty of the women that I've supported and I know it's been the same for you Benita you can really make huge shifts in your individual experience without needing to see broader social change. You can completely transform and revolutionize your own experience of what it means to be a mother. And then we have this sort of middle cohort, which I imagine includes some people who are listening to this podcast, right, who have an interest in motherhood, who have a sense that actually something here isn't quite right. There must be more to the story. I'm not satisfied with how things are. I believe in the possibility, actually, that things ought to, or there's a possibility for things to be better than what they are. And I want to understand my experience in a deepened way. And that is where I'm seeing for those women, huge shifts and, and change is possible and, and has been happening um, through the support of those in community, doing this in relationship, doing this with a therapist or a coach in group settings, listening to podcasts like this, being really conscious of who you're following on your social media. Um, so I guess I answer that response in saying, I think we have a really long way to go, but I'm really hopeful. And I've already seen a lot of shifts individually with many, many women who have come to immerse themselves in this work in this space. Mm, amazing, Sophie. And, and you're such a change maker in this space that so I think we need to celebrate. Um, so you mentioned that part of your mission is creating a world where feel empowered, supported and valued. And this might link a little bit with what you previously said. 
how do you think we're doing in this regard um, as a whole and how do we all contribute to this as individuals? I guess what I would say is that we can make changes on an individual level and that place of agency is where I'm really focused because I can see I, I have a sense of focus on that area through my work with practitioners um, who are going out there and working with mothers individually. But I like to always emphasize that actually we can't expect that our experience of the tank will be avoidable or that we can just simply detox from all of these rules while we're still living within the current construct. So it kind of sense mm. of if we're living within a world that doesn't actually value mothers, that doesn't support mothers, where we have research looking at the impacts of mothers in the workplace, the maternal wall, the motherhood penalty, the ways that actually when you step into the role of being a mother, when you take on primary caring responsibilities, there are a whole bunch of ways in which you then become in, invisibilized in our culture. There are a whole bunch of ways that you have financial and economic implications and ramifications because of the load of caregiving that you're carrying. There are a whole bunch of ways that you feel stuck and you don't have a whole heap of choice and agency in how you want to construct and live your life because there are a bunch of external factors like access to quality and affordable childcare as one example that really shape your experience. So I think that we can do the work from the inside out, which is what uh, I am focused on trying to do at the moment in this space of my business in working with practitioners. But the work also has to come from the outside in. So that means we also mm -hmm. need people who are doing activism work, who are doing advocating, who are lobbying government, who are in government, who are politicians. We need people who are key cultural influencers, right, in what is the narrative of what it means to be a mother. So we kind of need to come at this from a whole bunch of different angles, which is why I have a real sense of the importance of as many of us as possible knowing about this and finding our space of interest and skill set to be able to make shifts. And when it feels too much, especially for those who work with mothers, many of us as mothers ourselves, and any mothers who may be listening, it can feel like, oh, wow, this is, this is kind of a lot. What can I do as an individual? Just coming back to if you have children and you are involved in their care, you are likely the primary caregiver, that is culture making and culture changing. The work of mothering and of raising and of caring for others and caregiving in other ways that extend beyond just caregiving for children, that's really foundational to our society and culture and that in and of itself is a revolutionary act. So I think bring it back uh, bring it back to the self when things are feeling big, but we also need to acknowledge that it is a bigger picture too. Mm. And Sophie, can you please speak to the anger that showed up? I remember in doing the certification with you and maybe, I don't know, four to six weeks in, might've even been less than that. We got on a group call and I think you asked the question, who's feeling angry? Or there was, there was like a collective anger amongst us once we started to learn about this stuff, like, why do we have to deal with all this? You know, there was this real angry feeling, which by the end of the certification for me um, turned to more of an empowered feeling. Um, can you just speak to that and and how if others are listening and they go and watch the fish tank of motherhood or they hear you speak and they also feel angered by the perfect mother myth and the social construct, how to move through that anger into a more perhaps helpful feeling or action. 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I guess I'd emphasize two things. One being that for some, they can move into this work and they feel the anger arise in response. And for others, the anger's already arisen and they move into the work to understand why it's there. And so it, de it depends. It'll be different for all of us. But for many mom mothers, they are carrying and sitting with, sometimes suppressed, sometimes not, feelings of anger, resentment, frustration, and a sense of injustice. Ultimately, this isn't fair. This isn't what I signed up for. This is the, I am, this is so much harder than I had expected. And when you add into their understanding of the nervous system, understanding of maternal mental health, understanding of lack of support systems, understanding the rates of birth trauma and PTSD that we see new mothers experience, it's really, really understandable as to why many mothers are feeling fed up and angry. We should be angry and mm. fed up with the way things are. Um, so I think just first off, really validating and normalizing anger and not, you know, I think that we, we walk a fine line sometimes because anger can also be a flag for postpartum mood disorders, right? It can be a flag for getting support for postnatal depression and anxiety. And that's really important to recognize. And also for us to say, we can have both, you know, it's not either or. Also, we can say actually our anger isn't necessarily a symptom of something that's, that is I'm needing individual support with, but it can also be a symptom of what our, how toxic our society and culture is and I'm responding. Um, so I think it's, it's complex and it can be both, but how I think we move through it is by actually moving closer to it rather than moving away from it. So as the experience that, that you had Benita and many others having my program, it, it is in about week four, between week four and six, um, I now do it over six months. I think when you did it, it was 10 weeks. And so we stretch out the process longer. Uh, but what arises is anger because once we start to understand the system that we're living within, we start to recognize that it's actually not our fault. Mm. Part of this socialization means we're led to believe we're not enough. We're not good enough. That's why it's hard. And so when we start to understand the bigger picture, First can come a feeling of relief. A lot of the time, the initial feeling can be like, oh, I can drop my shoulders a bit. It's not all on me. It's, it's not my inadequacy. It's not that everybody else is just, you know, kicking goals at motherhood. And I'm the only one here that feels like this is harder than I expected. Um, it can actually feel validating, right? But then the anger can also arise as a response to that because we say, actually, I deserve better than this. And other mothers deserve better than this. And actually, my children deserve better than this. And the other part of this, I think I want to emphasize, because I'm talking a lot here about the experience of motherhood being hard and being dissatisfied with how things are and being fed up with how they are. Alongside that, though, is a lack of recognition of how powerful motherhood is and can be for us and how much of a catalyst it can be for our own transformation, personal development, enrichment, fulfillment, contentment. And often that is glamorized and washed over in a really superficial way with our current cultural language of, of motherhood. So it's actually what we're doing here is we're not just giving concepts to help us understand the hard. We're giving ourselves concepts to understand the full and holistic perspective of the very complex and nuanced nature of our lived experience. And so coming back to what we do with anger, we move closer to it and we explore why it's there. We explore what it's telling us and we listen to it. And then it's some form of expression or embodiment in some way. So we get on 
a call together, connecting with community, you hear other people's experiences, you feel a sense of validation, you express, you use your voice, you articulate yourself as to why you're feeling this way. You use it to help galvanize you into what it is that you want to see change in your life or in the world. What boundaries do you need to set? What needs do you need to articulate for yourself? Where is your capacity for creativity, for innovation? Where are you feeling stifled? Because anger can sometimes be attached to that. So using it in some way, not stagnating in it. And that looks like expression, therapy, working with a coach. It can look like a walk, a run, dance, embodiment. It can look like shaking. It can look like a whole bunch of different somatic practices as well. Um, but just to recognize that the, the rising up of anger can be a really normal and predictable part of the process. Mm. And what about the the anger, guilt, shame cycle, Sophie? You talked about that in, in our training and I see it in my work showing up quite often where well, mum guilt is one of the most common conversations that I have in my coaching work with mums. It's very prevalent. It's, it's very strong, that feeling. And we learn with you that there is this anger, guilt, shame cycle. What's a more helpful approach we can adopt when we see that show up in our mothering and how, I guess, how do we become conscious of it? And then what's a more helpful approach to move through it? Just building on what you just shared about learning from anger. Yeah, well, I have um, a visual to help with this. Um, it's on my website. If you go to free resources, it will be under there, the anger guilt trap. And the first step is awareness of understanding what it is. So essentially that fish tank analogy that I described earlier there and that uh, with the black texture and writing out all of the rules, that's what we call the perfect mother myth. So those are all of the ways that we've internalized this myth or this ideology around what it means to be the ideal mother. And that is sort of up the top. If we think of a, a big circle, that's kind of up the top. That's a starting place. And what that does is that tells us a message that to be a good mother, you self-sacrifice and you put others before you. So if we move along that a little bit, what happens is anytime we feel as though we're not doing that, we aren't able to do that, we're not doing a good enough job, we aren't able to be in two places at once, surprise, surprise, we let our children down, surprise, surprise, we are human, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Anytime that happens for us and we perceive ourselves as not living up to the perfect mother myth, we'll feel a sense of guilt. Okay. Yeah. Good enough. I, I need to do better. And what happens is that can lead us to self-sacrifice even more. And it's not a shock to then recognize that many of us as mothers are living with burnout, depletion, I mean, massive deficiencies in even just our nutrition, our sleep, our support. We weren't meant to mother in the ways that we are mothering in our culture with such little support. It's, it's not evolutionarily normal to have a, one person at home in a house all day with a three-year-old and a baby. That's really difficult. Uh, and so I think what ends up happening is we struggle even more because we're giving away more of ourselves than we even have to give. And there yes. will be some level of 
call in from our own body that says enough at some point with that. And it may be carried as a simmering away. I think about a, a kettle boiling. It can kind of be bubbling away, bubbling away, or as kind of lava before it overflows. It can look like a simmering. Uh, sometimes though, it can be really surprising. We feel as though we're doing fine and fine and then bam, we're not, but we will meet some sort of trigger. And when we meet that trigger, and it's usually through our children, it might be through your partner. If you have a partner, it could be through traffic. It could be through any number of things. Uh, what can happen is that simmering away and that, that bubbling of the feeling can come to the surface and it can arise and it can erupt. And sometimes it can erupt in ways that are really unhelpful, that are mean that we act outside of our values, that we might scare our children because we've yelled, that we might slam a door. You might do something and find yourself saying to yourself, I never thought I was going, I never was an angry person before I became a mother. I didn't experience anger like this before. What is, what is going on with me? And that's part of this anger guilt trap. And what can happen then is we double down on the guilt. We feel a level of shame and we try even harder to meet that myth of the perfect mother. And so that's why this cycle goes on. And so when you ask, what can we do to try and break that or shift that? There's things we can do at multiple steps. And I think the most foundational is to actually pull apart the perfect mother myth, which is you know, part of what I've I've pointed to at the beginning of this conversation to do the work of detoxing from some of our conditioning. That I think is going to be the most long lasting impactful thing we can do to shift our relationship to this cycle of anger and guilt and shame. And then though, at each point of the cycle, there are things that we can do when we feel guilt. For example, we ask, what is this guilt here to teach me? What is it revealing? Is it revealing that I am living outside of my values. In order for us to know that, we have to know what our values are and we have to know what the perfect mother myth is. Is it asking me to actually come into deeper connection with what I want for my life and how I could act differently? What's it going to take for that to be possible? Or is it calling me into shame from, I call it like the guilt guard, working on behalf of patriarchal motherhood? Is it saying, actually get in line. You're not doing a good enough job according to the ideal. So, you know, I, I have been talking for a while, Benita, but you know, there's lots to say about this. I, I guess there's, there's ways at every point at which we can start to disrupt this. And it's a process, but also one to hold on to a lot of hope with, because there is a lot we can do to shift our experience. Mm. Incredible information, Sophie, and your podcast is called the good enough mother for good reason. And I feel like the, the, the journey of starting to define for yourself what being a good enough mother is, is, is incredibly empowering and helps to move some of those feelings which feel destructive and give you a helpless, a sense of helplessness to start to then move into an empowered position in your life and in your mothering experience, knowing that there is all these other factors at play that we don't really have control of, but that we can make our own choices as individuals. Um, and that there is support, which you've highlighted, you know, ways of finding support. So Sophie, going to your motherhood experience, I I would love to know, and I'm sure my listeners would as well, what is or has been your greatest joy and challenge in your motherhood journey? Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of the challenge, it's just essentially been my capacity to resource myself as a single mother would probably be one of the most challenging aspects of expecting to 
a parent in relationship and unexpectedly finding myself not having capacity to do that. Um, so creating a different version of what my motherhood could look like and one that centers my power rather than a sense of victimhood. So saying, well, what was the story that I wrote in my head about how things would be? And for most of us mm -hmm. as mothers, that story is different to our lived experience. So being able to yeah. acknowledge the grief that can sit in that gap between how we thought things would be and how things are. And then for us to find, okay, well, what can we do with this? How could we rewrite a narrative that actually centers on our agency and power and the many gifts that are here for us? Um, and if we are too attached, I think, to that story that we held on to, it can really rob us of the opportunity to see all of the you know, incredible things that are in front of us as well. So leaning into that gratitude piece. Um, but again, I think we can only actually do that once we've had a sense of validation of our challenge and our struggle too. Um, and I think the joys of motherhood, just having the relationship that I do with my daughter and witnessing another human being, you know, come into being. And I think uh, I had expected that, um, that a child would perhaps be much more moldable than I thought. And I have kind of learned that actually, they each have their own little soul and we are here to guide and model, but also learn from them. Um, and so that has been a real joy, all the things that, you know, my six-year-old has also taught me on this path. <laughs> She's a lucky girl to have you, Sophie. Um, so Sophie, what, there's, there's so much good stuff you could, we could share and discuss um, all day, but what would be the final message that you would like to leave with the mums who are listening to this episode? I would love to leave them with the message that coming into connection with yourself is the ultimate antidote to all of this, because so much of what our challenge is on an individual level with what we can shift, if we acknowledge all the structural issues, as I've pointed to throughout this conversation, so much of what can hold us down and make things difficult is letting in all of the shoulds from the external. And so if we can really nurture and connect in with that relationship we have to ourselves, and sometimes that means connecting with someone else to be able to do that, depending on what your you know, lived experience and history is and whether you've experienced trauma, for example, um, but finding a way to help nurture that connection with yourself and come back to yourself because what our children need is very different to what our culture has told us they need. And the myth of the perfect mother is not only toxic for mothers, but it's toxic for our children. So the good enough mother, which we haven't had time to get into, but ultimately that's not a settling. That's not saying, well, I guess we can't meet that ideal that's written on the fish tank. It would be better if we could. And maybe if some people are superhuman, they could. If you've got any perfectionists listening to this, they may have a narrative in their head going, well, for everyone else, they may struggle to meet it, but I'll try really, really hard and I'll get there. Actually, even if we could get there, that would be robbing our children. That would be setting up for them an ideal that actually models perfection and strips them of their capacity to be in their full humanity and make mistakes and learn and grow and acknowledge all of the range of experiences that they will have as a human being. Being a human is often really challenging. So allowing yourself to be who you are and know that you're not alone and that all of us are on our own journeys with this and we do the best we can with what we have. 
Oh, Sophie, can I just touch on that for one moment? That was a really important message that you shared around that it being the perfect mother myth is toxic for our children. Do you mean that if we are striving to live in accordance with the perfect mother myth and therefore not um, allowing ourselves to be human to our children, is that what you mean? We're robbing them of the experience or, or we're then indoctrinating in their subconscious the conditioning that they then carry to the next generation. Is that what you mean? Yep. Two things. That's one of them. So essentially if we, we, we know this from the research, I've got a podcast episode on this, on the impacts of the perfect mother myth on mothers and children. Um, but we know that actually it does have implications for children's mental health and well-being when mothers uh, internalize the perfect mother myth, or it's also called intensive mothering ideology. So exactly as you've yeah. just articulated, if we strive towards that level of perfectionism and are trying and trying and feeling as though we're failing, um, that does have implications for what we're setting up for our children. More so though, actually, that a supported and well mother is what our children ultimately benefit from right so that's why we need an emphasis on supporting mothers that's why it's not just a throwaway throwaway line of it takes a village to raise a child like actually if we want to be able to care for the children of the next generation we need to be caring for those who care for them and um, so that's one one side of it the other side of it is pointing more towards the good enough mother as a concept by Donald Winnicott, the psychoanalyst and pediatrician and there's lots of work that's done in the sphere of um, kind of the psychoanalysis and psychology that actually looks at even if we were to be able to be the perfect mother for our child there there's almost a thing of well, there's one article it's quite triggering for many to read though which is about the the deprivations of the true good mother like there are ways in which actually if we do hold up an ideal of perfection and we we are able to uh, achieve that sense of almost a facade that we we never fail we never make mistakes that can actually be really detrimental for our children's development in terms of them even differentiating between themselves and us. Um, this connects in with kind of literature around identity formation, for example. So like it's a, it's a big topic, um, but it's one that I think is important to just point towards and not get too deep down if you're on your early journey with this, um, but to kind of just have a little asterisk or a little nugget in the back of your head that you're not letting your children down by doing this and thinking about your own journey and looking at the ways that you can center yourself on your values, it's actually a gift for them to be able to do that and to, to look at the ways in which you can feel most supported and most fulfilled in your mothering experience. Go and check out Sophie's podcast, The Good Enough Mother. And Sophie, have you got anything else exciting or interesting coming up for the rest of the year that you might like to share with everyone? Yeah, I mean, for anyone who's listening who may be working with mothers or want to move into motherhood support, I have another round of motherhood studies that starts early next year and enrollment uh, will open for early uh, people who want to jump in early in October. Uh, I also have a downloadable on my website, 10 ways that patriarchal motherhood can show up in mothers for those who might be interested in that. And I have a bunch of self-study courses for any mums who might be at the start of their journey and want a little bit more context. Um, but yeah, the podcast is a great place to start with that. And, and it's really wonderful, Benita, that you're doing the work that you are and, and offering the resources in the way that you are as well. 
Thank you, Sophie. Um, thanks so much for being here, sharing such valuable wisdom and practical experiences. And you've certainly an important mentor and have shaped my coaching and my world and my mothering in, in a huge way. So very grateful for you being here with me today and um, sharing what you have with my listeners. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Benita. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Me Plus Motherhood podcast. If you've loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share with other mothers. If you are on the journey of motherhood, ready to reconnect with who you are, find your spark again and shine your light bright, head on over to benitabench.com or my handle is at benitabench on Instagram and Facebook to connect with me there. See you in the next episode.